Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hi there, and welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton. Today is May the 22nd, 2023, and we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Timothy. Um, So we are now in chapter 4 of the book of 1 Timothy. We've just come out of chapter 3, where Paul was was talking to Timothy or or, or writing to Timothy about the qualifications of elders, pastors, the qualification of deacons, talking about the the church and the household of God and, and some things for Timothy to bear in mind with regard to leadership and leadership qualities in um, in those who, who lead the church. And and so while we look at the last few weeks that we've we've looked at in, in First Timothy chapter three and we look at it in light of there are some character traits and some things that are talked about that are common uh, to all Christians. And, and so there are things that pastors and deacons and leaders in the church are called to in, in terms of personal holiness and, and their, their conduct and their manner of life that ought to be true of all of us. And, and so we can see some, some general things in all of those offices, but we also know that there are some special things that are there. And so, for instance, one of the things that Paul tells Timothy about those that would um, that would be pastors that they they need to be able to teach the word. Um, you can look over in the book of Titus and and see when Paul's writing to Titus, he says to Titus that pastors should be those who both have the ability to teach. Those that aspire to be pastors should have the ability to teach. But he also talks about the ability to to defend the church through the use of God's word. And so there's a sense that part of the qualification of a pastor is to be able to handle the word of God well. And so we've seen these list of things that Paul says are requisite for those that would serve in a leadership role, either as a pastor or as a deacon. Now we're kind of focusing more on the church in general. And now, so now that we have this understanding of the leadership of the church and who it is, the, the kind of, of, of men that God calls out to lead the church, now we're going to get into some things that that Paul's going to say about the church and 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 so let's just dive right into chapter chapter 4 of 1 Timothy and we'll kind of dive in and out of this we're going to run into acts for a little bit we'll be over in Ephesians we'll kind of take several um several detours this morning as we work our way through but in the beginning, the first two verses of First Timothy chapter 4, Paul really gets to the heart of the matter really quickly. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in, in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, Paul kind of gives this sort of express warning to Timothy to say, look, there are going to be people who are going to leave the faith. There are going to be people that are going to leave the church, and they're going to chase after things that are that are not worthy. They're going to devote themselves to what he calls deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. In other words, 
they're going to devote themselves to foolishness and they're going to devote themselves to things that are not the gospel. And the way that they're going to get there, Paul says, is through the insincerity of liars whose, whose consciences are seared. Now, here's the thing I think to note first as we, as we look at this is Paul's not talking about the insincerity of these liars coming from the outside of the church. He's talking about them coming from the inside of the church. And I think one of the things Paul's addressing here is, although he doesn't necessarily say it explicitly, is that, at least at this point he doesn't say it explicitly, is that there are people within the church, there are always going to be people within the church that are not truly in Christ. There are unregenerate folks, unredeemed folks that are in the middle of the church. Sometimes there are unredeemed folks that are in the middle of the church and they're serving in positions of leadership. They're serving in positions of responsibility. Sometimes they've risen to the level of being a teacher. Sometimes they've even risen to the level of being, being a pastor. And the fact is that um, Paul's going to give us a, a, a different word to use for these people in a different place. But the fact is he, t he calls them wolves. And he, and he talks about the idea that there are going to be these people that are, gonna, that, are, that are not in Christ, that are in the church, and sometimes they're in positions of responsibility, and they're going to try to bend the church to make the church something that God never intended for it to be. They're going to try to shape the church to mirror the culture. They're going to try to shape the church to mirror the things that they want, the things that they desire. They're going to try to bend the church to get rid of the things that, in God's word, that they're uncomfortable with. They're going to try to conform the church into their image. And the fact is that Paul is saying, look, the Holy Spirit is expressly saying, this is that Spirit, capital S in verse 1, that later on, at some time in the future, there are going to be people that are going to run away from the church. And so there are going to be people that, that you think are walking with you and they're a part of the church and they seem to be in Christ and they do all the things that we do and they say all the things that we say. But one day we're going to wake up and realize that they've gone and and they're like they're completely away from the church. They're completely opposed to the gospel. They're completely on mission to do something other than to pursue Christ and to make him known. And and Paul says just expect that. Because those are people that are ultimately they're led astray by the insincerity of liars and these liars are people who are in the middle of the church who are preaching a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they're upholding something other than the word of God and and ultimately they're on a mission that's other than the mission of God and that these people's consciences are seared. He uses the word, the derivative is the same as like for the word cauterize. It's like they're burned, they're scarred. Like these, these people are not malleable to the Holy Spirit. They're not sensitive to the things of God. They're in the middle of the church, but they're in the middle of the church for their own, for their own desires and, 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 for, their, and, and for their own good. They're seeking not to make Christ known, but they're seeking to make themselves comfortable and they're, seek, they're seeking to make themselves important. Now, Paul talked in, in Acts chapter 20, you know, there's a, an interesting thing that happens in Acts chapter 20 that Paul, who spent three years in the church in Ephesus, where Timothy is now when, when this letter is being written to him, and Paul calls for the Ephesian elders. And so Paul thinks he's going to his death in Acts chapter 20. He, he believes that he's being taken to Rome in order to be tried and ultimately to be martyred 
for his faith in Christ and for his the outspoken nature of his ministry. Scholars debate whether that actually was the case or, or whether this was a first trip to Rome and that there was later, that Paul was later taken to Rome and ultimately imprisoned and killed. And, and regardless of that, whether there's one journey or two, the thing that we can take away from this and know for sure is, is that Paul, in his perspective, in his eyes, in Acts chapter 20, thought that he was heading toward his death. And so in the spirit of like a deathbed confession, in the spirit of a, I'm, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And so, so I want to get you together with me and I want, and I want to be intentional about the things I tell you. That's the way Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders. And so when he brings this group of people together, beginning of verse 29 of Acts chapter 20, this is what Paul says to the pastors who are leading the church at Ephesus. And this is the church eventually that Timothy went to be the pastor of. Paul says to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. In other words, they're going to be people that are going to come with bad intention and they're going to infiltrate the church and they're not going to spare the flock. They're not going to spare those who are genuinely following Jesus. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So this is not just the culture coming against the church. This is the church. These are people in the church coming against the true church itself. And ultimately, these are people that are, that are bringing the things of the world to bear. They're, 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 they're trying to reshape the gospel. They're trying to reshape the church. They're trying, they're trying to refocus the priorities of the church away from what God's word says the church is to be, which is to be the fellowship that's pursuing Jesus, that knows Jesus, that's pursuing Pursuing Jesus and ultimately that's on the mission to make the gospel known. Verse 31, he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what does Paul point the church to? What does he point these pastors to? to do for the church? Well, he points them to the same thing that we're going to see that Paul points Timothy to in the balance of chapter four, which is he points them. He says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. And so he is begging the elders, the leaders, the pastors of the church at Ephesus to focus themselves on God and ultimately to focus themselves on the truth of God's word, to dive into the depth of the scriptures to be their guide and ultimately to keep them and, and so that they're not tossed about by the, by the winds of the culture. And, and so Paul's warning and he's saying, look, these false teachers are going to come and they're going to be really dangerous and they're more dangerous because they're not coming from outside the church. They're coming from inside the church. And he's reminding something, I think that's a huge truth here, which is just because someone once had sound doctrine doesn't mean that they always will. We all the time hear people that change their convictions about God's word, that they change their convictions about things that, that they see, that sins that are common in the culture, and they begin to explain those things away and say that they're not sinful anymore. And they begin to, they begin to, to morph their understanding of the gospel, and they begin to morph their understanding of those things that are, that are explicitly talked about being outside of the, the holiness of God. 
and when they do, <laughs> they begin to say that those things are in line with the heart of God or in line with with the loving nature of God and those kind of things. And sometimes they'll say things that that just sound really good. And we want to trust them because they once were people who were alongside us and they once were people who were teaching truth. But what we have to realize is that sometimes people change their message. Sometimes people change their message because they're sincerely Christian and they're sincerely wrong. Sometimes people change their message because they sincerely weren't ever Christian. They were among us and they looked and acted like Christians, but they weren't. And their hearts are not transformed by the gospel. And the thing that they're like that lack of transformation is starting to come out. And what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to make the church a place that's that's more um more conducive to them, that's more bent toward their heart, that's more bent toward their worldview, that's that's all of these things. Why? Because at the end of the day, they're not in Christ. Now, Paul goes on and he talks about in verse three of like what the issue or what some of the issues are that are going on in the church in Ephesus at the moment. He says, verse two, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, And then he goes on and says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from certain foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so, in other words, what's happening is these false teachers inside the church are redefining what's good and bad. They're redefining morality. They're they're redefining a way of life. They're, They're taking something that God gave as good, which is the institution of marriage, and they're telling people not to do it. They're taking something that God has said is good, which is is food that was made for our sustenance and telling people to eat certain things and not eat other things. What they're doing is they're creating a set of laws and they're creating a way of life that that bends to what they want to say or how they want to live, not what the word of God says. Why? Because because they want to be in control. I really think this marriage thing is um, is particularly interesting and, and it's particularly timely in light of our own culture. The issue in Timothy's day was that there were people inside the church saying that you shouldn't get married. Um, and so they were downplaying the institution of marriage. But here's the, here's the kicker. Living in the middle of Ephesus, they were in the middle of a culture that was completely wrecked by sexual immorality. And so they were telling people not to get married, but they were excusing people people who were having all kinds of sexual encounters outside of marriage. And so the church was was essentially awash in in this really lousy sexual ethic um, where people were were doing all kinds of things that were contrary to to the design of God and, and the plan of God. And so rather than confronting that and saying, no, we need to get our sexual ethic in line with what the Bible says, instead of that, the church was preaching, well, you just shouldn't get married. And there were people inside the church that were saying, well, you just shouldn't get married, and marriage is the thing that's wrong. No, the thing that was wrong was a bent sexual ethic in the middle of the church because the church looked too much like the culture. There was nothing wrong with marriage. As a matter of fact, I would say that then and now the Word of God leads us to the fact that there's something incredibly special about marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And in the Greek, all means all, everything above all else. 
Let marriage be held in honor among all. Marriage is supposed to be a thing that is that's revered, a thing that's put on a pedestal. Why? Because as we see in Ephesians chapter five, a Christian marriage tells us a whole lot about Christ and his church. It's supposed to be a mirror of the relationship of Christ and his church. Hebrews chapter 13, 4 goes on and says, not only should, should marriage be held in honor among all, it says, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In other words, what he says is, is that the context for, for sex is inside a marriage and that there's absolutely nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, there's everything right and everything beautiful about, about sex in the context of a Christian marriage, one man, one woman, for one lifetime, but that there's absolutely something wrong with with sex outside of the boundaries of that. Paul talks here and he just kind of gives the summary and he says, God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. We can go into into Corinthians and other places where we see that Paul gives a grocery list of of what sexual immorality is. And basically what he says is that sex in any context other than one man, one woman in a marriage for a lifetime, that any other kind of sexual encounter is immoral. And he gives he gives this list about adultery and fornication and 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 things that you know talk about sins of the eyes and and sins of desire. But the thing that Paul Paul also points out in that list, and and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it, is he talks about the the sin of homosexuality. And today we're struggling with how do we manage all of those sins within the church? How do like what do we do about a world where all of those sins are are seen as acceptable and they're called lifestyles? Well, what we have to be what we have to do is we have to maintain a biblical sexual ethic that says let marriage be held in honor among all, and that marriage is defined as one man, one woman, one lifetime. Because marriage in that context gives us a picture of Christ and his church. Ephesians 5, 32 and 33 says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it, that it refers to Christ and his church. What mystery? The mystery of marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in that context... And Paul was saying it to Timothy in the first century in the church in Ephesus that there's nothing wrong with marriage. As a matter of fact, there's everything right with marriage. And really, like leading people away from that is not the answer. That's the same thing today. But today we have people within within the church and without the church that want to change and redefine marriage and they want to redefine it for believers why? Because they want to bend it into their own image. They want it to be like themselves. They want it to fit the ethic they believe instead of going to God's Word, which is what people who are truly in Christ are called to do, to go to God's Word and to build their ethics and to build their life around those things that God says are true. And Paul's saying to Timothy, if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to be a pastor who leads people in that way and, and, is, and is on guard against people that would want to lead them through the church um, to do otherwise. So for the rest of the, the kind of the balance of chapter chapter four, he really gets into things that are about the, the sort of the life and the work of the preacher. He's talking straight to Timothy, who is the, the pastor, like the senior pastor of the, the church at Ephesus.
Verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. In other words, he's saying that the things that God has created, um, taken and used in the context that God created them for, which God has been explicit about in his word, that those things are good and they're to be received with thanksgiving. They're for our good um, and that they're made holy when we keep them in the context of the word of God and ultimately fellowship with God through prayer. So now we get down to where Timothy begins to talk about like the content, like what makes good preaching. So he says in verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So if you want to be a good pastor, put this stuff before the church, everything that he said up to this point, being trained with the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way and holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And so Paul, Paul basically tells Timothy, to be a good pastor, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to press in. And part of what you're going to have to press in and do is you're going to have to reject irreverent, silly myths. You're going to have to reject the silliness of the world around you and the culture and the stuff that would point you both internal motivation and those things coming outside of you that would point you away from God's design for the world and would point you away from the gospel. But what does he say before that? He says, but if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And then he basically parenthetically gives Timothy the thing to focus on. He says, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you followed. And so basically, he tells Timothy, be focused on two things. Be focused on the words of faith, which are the scriptures, and be focused on good doctrine that you followed. Where did that good doctrine come from? It came from Paul and others who who had helped Timothy to understand the scriptures. People that had helped him to unpack the scriptures and to understand the gospel and to understand the full story of redemption. And he he was able to understand the Bible and weave the story together and understand it in context. Why do we strive to keep trying to understand and to dig in and, and to mine out the gold that exists in the word of God? The reason we do it is because because ultimately what's going to keep us tracking with God and what's ultimately going to please God is when we stay close to the word of faith and we ultimately have good doctrine that's based upon a good understanding of the word of God. And so that's what Paul tells Timothy to continue to focus on and to preach. And so then he tells Timothy, he says, command and teach these things in verse 11, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So he talks about then not only the content of good preaching or like what a preacher is supposed to what a preacher supposed to teach. Then he talks about what is what's the life of the preacher supposed to look like. 
So he says, your life's supposed to be given to command and teach these things. What? The word of God, the words of faith, and of good doctrine. Your life's supposed to be given up to do those things. If you're in a church and your pastor is not giving up his life to dig into the scriptures and teach the whole counsel of God's word, if he's not trying to help you weave an understanding of the Bible together so that you have good doctrine to be able to base your life upon, if that's not what your pastor's trying to do, you need to go find another church. You need to go find another pastor. Why? Because ultimately the pastor's job is not to tell clever stories. It's not to entertain us. It's not to, it's not to be somebody who's easy to listen to. It's not even to be somebody who gives us, you know, really clever things to, to tell us how to make our lives better. Pastor's job is ultimately to look at the Word of God and to dig into the Word of God and to find truth there and to serve it up for us and to help us to understand how to weave that truth together in ways that we understand the gospel more deeply and that we learn how to live more fully. So Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. And then he says, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth, but instead conduct yourself in this way. He said, set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Well, when we go back to that, that list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of those things that deacons and, and pastors' lives are supposed to be about, we find some things in those lists, right, that are common that every believer's life ought to look like those things. Well, what, what could you kind of say if you put those things in summary? It would be that our lives need to reflect Christ in our speech, and our conduct, in the way we love people, in the faith that we have in the gospel, and in the way we walk in, in holiness and the way we walk in purity. He's basically telling Timothy, be an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity because those are the things that are common to all of us in the body of Christ. And so in those things, you're supposed to be an example that people can look to and follow, not in perfection, but ultimately in effort falling on um, the word of God. Then you get down to, to verse 13, and, and he begins to talk about, um, like, what are the things that the pastor's supposed to do? And so Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And so, so what's he telling Timothy? It, it, like this is, this is Paul just repeating himself over and over and over, hoping Timothy's going to get it through repetition. So he says, Timothy, what does it look like to do this work as a preacher, to live this out? Well, he says the first thing that you need to champion is the public reading of Scripture. You need to lead your people to read the Bible and love the Bible and consume the Bible. You need to lead your people to be obsessively engaged with the Word of God, that they need to build their lives around reading and meditating on the Word of God. And the way you're going to do that is, is that you as a preacher are going to give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. When you have an opportunity to speak, you're going to get up and read Scripture because you value Scripture and you're going to give people chunks of Scripture and you're going to give it to them in context. So you're, you're given to the public reading of Scripture. What's the next thing that you're, you're given to? You're given to exhortation, which is, which is basically compelling people to live what it is that they see in the Scriptures. You're going to beg people to see truth and you're going to beg people to act on that truth. And then what's the last thing you're going to do? It's a, he says, so you're, you give yourself to, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and then the last thing is teaching. 
Timothy, you're going to dig into the scriptures and you're going to help people to understand what they mean. You're going to take you're going to take the scriptures in places where the meaning is difficult and hidden, and you're going to use the scriptures in a way. You're going to unpack the scriptures in a way that you're going to be able to enlighten people about what it is that God is saying to them through the scriptures. And how are you going to do it? Primarily, you're going to do it by letting scripture interpret scripture. You're not going to bring human wisdom to this thing. You're not going to bring other stuff to this thing. Your illustrations aren't all that important. Your funny stories aren't all that important. What you're going to bring to teaching is you're going to bring an understanding of um, of the breadth and the depth of God's Word, and, and you're going to help people to dig into God's Word so they can make it accessible. And then he gives him a warning. He says, do not neglect the gift that you have. God has gifted you for this enterprise. He's given you what's necessary. And how how do I know? Because he says, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, sometimes when we hear prophecy, we start to think about people like, you know, telling the future or whatever. Prophets told the future because ultimately they spoke the word of God to people and they told the truth. When we see prophecy in the New Testament, what we think is not someone who's like saying something that's predicting the future or speaking a word over someone to to like bring enlightenment. What prophecy is, is when when we're telling the truth about what it is that God says. And so what he's saying is these elders, they watched your life and they examined you and they and they looked at you in terms of the things that I talked about in the last chapter in verses one through eight. And they said that that those things were representative of your life. And so they said you were qualified to be an elder and you were qualified to be a pastor because they had examined your life and they laid their hands on you and they prayed for you and they set you apart for this work because they had seen it in you. So God's given you a gift and other people have affirmed it. And so you need to use it. And then the last thing that we see is that ultimately Timothy's being called to faithfulness a call that we all share. And so Paul says, look, after all of this and after everything I've said about about staying faithful to the Word of God and ultimately to teach the Word of God and to build your doctrine upon the Word of God and to guard the church and to not, to not let the culture, either from the inside or the outside, to take over the church, but to stay tied to the Word of God, what does he say? He says, practice these things, verse 15, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. What progress? <laughs> well, what he's telling Timothy is if you continue to go back to the Word of God, if you continue to dig into the Word of God, if you continue to practice these things, if you continue to pray, if you continue to read Scripture, if you continue to study the Scripture, if you continue to break the Scripture down for other people, if you continue to, to watch yourself in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity and try to live according to the Word of God and those things that you see in the Word of God, you're going to progress because you're going to become more like Jesus. And then he says in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Again, don't be the one who leads the church astray. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why? You'll save both yourself and your hearers because you'll remain faithful to the gospel and dependent upon Jesus. 
I hope today's been helpful for you. We love the opportunity to be able to dig into God's Word together and to unpack what the Scripture has to say for us. Uh, Lifeline here, we are grounded in the Word of God as we seek to fulfill the mission of equipping the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphan and vulnerable children. And we know that in the body of Christ, in the church, that the Word of God and the living Word in Jesus are, are are the things that we have attached our lives to, that there are only hope. And and so uh, I pray that you've been encouraged today. I pray that you've been challenged today. Um, We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at at lifelinechild.org or on any of the social media platforms at Lifeline Child uh, is our social media handle. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, We'd love to hear if uh, if this Bible study is helpful and meaningful to you, and 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 we'd love to know about the ways that that God is uh, is working through you and working through your church to care for the vulnerable in the name of Jesus. And so, hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.